Well, hello, Seacoast. It is great to see you. Welcome to church this weekend. I hope you guys are doing great. I want to welcome all of you that are here with us today. Also, those of you that are on the internet or joining us at one of our campuses, we are so glad that you are with us. It's going to be a really, really cool weekend. Before we get started with uh, today's message, I got to give a shout out, though, to our Greenville campus. I love our Greenville campus. They've got good people. They've got Clemson people. And in fact, your your campus pastor's on vacation this week, and he happens to be here at the Long Point campus. And so Ross and Misty White and their kids, would you guys wave, everybody? Y'all give it up for the campus pastors at the Greenville campus hanging out with us here in Mount Pleasant. We love you guys and just excited about what God's gonna do uh, among us this weekend. I'm gonna uh, cut to the chase. I get the privilege of introducing you guys to just an incredible uh, man of God, friend of Greg's. Greg's actually speaking down in Tampa, Florida today. Uh, so he misses you and sends his uh, greetings. But uh, get to introduce you to, to Pastor Michael Murphy and uh, just so many things to say about uh, this incredible man of God. Uh, he, about 30 years ago, uh, alongside Pastor Brian Houston, uh, stepped out in faith and planted a church in Sydney, Australia, a small church called Hillsong. You guys may have heard of it. Um, we sing a lot of their songs and they've just really changed the way that we do church uh, around the globe and um, was served on staff there for 12 years and uh, then planted a church or pastored a church called Shire Life Church for the last 18 years, recently transitioned that church uh, to, a, to a young couple and just incredible guy. He uh, has been a part of a church planting movement in Australia. They've planted a thousand churches. Uh, he's the president of a, a college, a university in Australia and just really, really cool. But I've had the chance to just recently get to know him. And uh, a lot of times you see a leader from afar and they look great, but the closer you get to them, you kind of can become a little disenfranchised by that. Well, that's, that's the exact opposite of Pastor Michael Murphy. We just have had a chance to connect and have some meals together and uh, just loves, I mean, you know, you can tell a lot about a person by the way they treat people in the service industry and just loving on his waiters and waitresses and inviting them to church and sharing his faith and uh, has become a friend of mine as well. So would you guys, we're in the South. I wanna show him some Southern hospitality. So would you guys greet Pastor Michael Murphy as he joins us and brings a word for us. Thanks, man. Hey, Seacoast, how you doing? I said, hey, Seacoast, how you doing? I love it when the pastor reads the script well that I gave him before the service for the introduction. Isn't that cool? Such an obedient pastor. I want to thank Pastor Greg and Debbie and uh, Pastor Josh and Jason and the whole team. Uh, this is an honor for me. Now, I know that's what you're supposed to say. I know that's kind of, you get up, oh, this is such a privilege. Honestly, you wouldn't even be sitting here and listening if you, if you actually knew my life 30 years ago. And I want to cut to the chase and just let you know, some of you might want to leave after this introductory moment. I, you know, I am, I am a trophy, my wife and I both, trophies of God's grace. We, we have very broken backgrounds. It's only three decades or so ago that I was, and again, I'm, I'm not proud of this, rolling out of bars four, five, six nights a week at all sorts of hours of the morning. I was, uh, I was sexually abused as a young boy. There you are, that's cutting to the chase, isn't it? and uh, 14 year, years of age by a man. And the next several years, I was trying to prove my heterosexuality, messed up. And that landed with a teenage pregnancy. So in addition to our three kids that my wife and I have, I have another daughter. 
I never saw that daughter. She was born on my birthday. And I remember distinctly um, when that relationship broke up and she married someone, someone older than her, a friend of the family who's done a great job with this girl. I remember actually I was preaching about 16 years ago at Shire Live, our church, Josh, and we we had a couple of people respond at the end. And I'm going to give you an opportunity here and your campus pastors at, at, at Somerville and, and Greenville and North Charleston and some of the campuses at the end. Give everyone an opportunity, even those up in the box seats there. These people are paying good money for these seats up here. No, no, they do a 12% tithe for, in order to get the box seats. I'd like to welcome the, uh, the, the Microsoft uh, crew up there. Good to have you. Coca-Cola up there. Thanks for your sponsorship. Anyway, what am I saying? It, anyway, so, so a couple of people responded. In the foyer afterwards, one of them came up to me, and I recognized her to be one of those that had actually responded. She said, can I talk to you for a minute? I said, sure. Pastor to new Christian, new believer. This beautiful 18-year-old girl looked at me in the eyes and in the foyer of our church, she said, I'm your daughter. I said, I'm so pleased to meet you. Can I give you a hug? And there I was hugging my daughter for the very first time. You know what? As a dad, those words, I'm your daughter, they caused my heart to, I fell in love in a, in a funny sort of way. If that's the case for me, some broken guy that Jesus just happened to get a hold of, how much more does our heavenly father, well, we cut to the chase and break it back and get real simple about it and say, Daddy, I'm your son, I'm your daughter. I reckon his heart does cartwheels as well. Where we're going with this service I wouldn't have a clue. No, where we're going with this service is I, a really important focus for me, but more importantly for Seacoast and your pastors here, more importantly still for Jesus, is for people to come back into that sweet spot, that God zone. And so it may be that you had a horrible week. Maybe you've had a horrible couple of months. Maybe you're like, man, I don't even feel like I belong here. Good news for you. There's no pointing of the finger around here. We've got oceans of God's grace. And so if you're messing up right now, and maybe you're going, I don't even know why I'm here. I can't make this. You can. You can. And we're going to do some business with God at the end of the service. And it's a real joy to have you here. It's a joy for me to be here, for me. And uh, we're going we're gonna to get into God's Word. If you can come with me to John chapter 7, that would be wonderful. In this new season, we're doing a lot of flying. And I can assure you, at the end, I haven't seen anyone leave yet, so we're, we're doing okay so far. We're doing a lot of flying, and when you're in, sitting inside a, a, metal, a metal container, traveling 14 hours across the Pacific six times a year... Uh, it does lose its shine after a while. I'm not complaining. I am grateful to God for all the opportunity that is giving us. I am a very gregarious person. I just, I don't want to seem too spiritual about that, talking to wait staff and servers. I just, I just love people. I, I, I get a kick out of that. I, I just love engaging with them and talking to their story. Sometimes though, I just want to, you know, I just want to sleep. 
And there was one of those times, and the key is, here's, here's the little instruction, no eye contact. No eye contact's all good. Accidentally, I contacted the eyes of the person that was gonna be sitting next to me for the next 14 hours. He said, g'day, how you doing? I recognized he was from China, and uh, no, not really, Australia. And uh, I said, uh, he said, what's your name? I said, Michael. He said, I'm Wes. I said, oh, Wes, how are you? What do you do? I said, what are you doing? You want to finish the conversation. He said, I run a zoo. I said, you what? I said, I've never met a proper person that runs a zoo before. What sort of zoo do you run? Just trying to be not too excited. He said, I run Australia Zoo. I said, like Steve Irwin, Australia. He said, yeah, I'm, I'm Steve's best mate. Told me the story of how the, tragically the stingray killed him and... Turns out Wes is Australia's foremost poisonous snake expert. Uh, I said, yeah, me too, brother. Uh, <laughs> I said, what do you do? What's a poisonous snake expert doing a, a vacation? He said, oh, I love chasing rattlers out the back of Arizona. He said, man, high five. I said, great. I said, have you ever had any close calls with big crocs? He said, yeah, we did. I said, what did you do? We're both talking like Steve. I don't know why. <laughs> he said, we were cleaning out the croc enclosure. I said, yeah. Crikey, that's amazing. He said there was a big mother, 14-footer, in the next lagoon connected. There was Steve, myself, and a guy on lookout. He goofed off. While I was bending over like this, she came up behind me and cracked me across the butt and the top of the legs. Then he pulled out his iPhone 5 and started showing me his 37 stitches. This was an awkward moment, guys. Feel me. I have a growing man whom I'm sitting with for the next 14 hours showing me a photo of his bottom before we take off. I said, then what happened? He said, then she went up in the air. She was about to come down and crack my skull. Mid-air, Steve tackled her and saved my life. I just about stood up in the middle of the airplane and said, I love you, Steve Irwin. I want to talk to you today about there's something in the water. Something in the water. John 7 recounts a story that, uh, that picks up on one of the Old Testament feasts of Israel. A um, little bit of history. Uh, the children of Israel, when they were in the wilderness, they camped out in booths. This was a time where the children of Israel remembered that, called the Feast of the Tabernacles, and uh, still celebrated this day in Jerusalem. And uh, what would happen is for seven days, the priests would, uh, would get in a gold pitcher water from the pool of Siloam and they would pour it over the altar, around the altar. Beautiful picture. The altar speaking to us of Christ. The water in this case, and as we read on in this verse, we'll see very specifically that Jesus is referring to the Holy Spirit. Seacoast, no matter where you are today in terms of campuses or online, I have a conviction in my heart that the Holy Spirit is doing something fresh. The Holy, I had no idea that Pastor Greg spoke about the Holy Spirit last week or the week before. We had not in any way compared notes. And the message, something in the water, frankly, is all about the moving and the fresh brooding of the Holy Spirit over our lives, over our families, over our dreams, over our aspirations, over our ministry, over our character. So buckle your seatbelts. I really believe that God is about to do something. Not only at the end am I gonna pray for every single person who says, you know what, I, I, I'm distant from God. There's a, there's a shift that happened in my heart sometime, I don't know when, and you know what, I'm here and I'm worshiping, but if you could see a shot of my heart up on the screen, 
there's, there's this disconnect that's happening. And friend, you don't have to stay that way from today on. But in addition to that, at the end, I actually want to give you the opportunity, again, everyone here, to not only respond at one of our stations, but I believe that something's happening in the Spirit. You know, the, the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of multiplication. You already have a great church. You've got one of the great churches in the world. In fact, I want to thank you for your generosity in sharing your pastor. As a result of his role at ARC, Australia has been blessed. Uh, the nations of the world are being blessed. Lots of churches are, uh, how can I say it, stingy with their pastor. Oh, we want you all to ourselves. No, not Seacoast. You're saying, we love our pastor, but we understand that we've got a global call through him. I want to thank you on behalf of Australia and some of the other nations of the world for your generosity in that regard. So we come to the story where Jesus stands up in the middle of, of this feast on the, on the eighth day. There's some debate over whether they still do that water pouring thing on the eighth day, whether they do or, or do not. This is a dramatic thing. In, Acts chap, sorry, in, jo, in John chapter 7, verse 37, we read on that last that great day of the feast, which was the day that they celebrated the children of Israel actually going into Canaan land, the promised land, here's what happens. Jesus stood and cried out saying, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart, some versions say, out of his belly flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke, very specifically here, concerning the Holy Spirit, uh, 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 whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. I'm reminded of the story a couple of chapters earlier, which I love, where Jesus sat on the side of a well with a woman that he should never have been caught dead speaking to. It was the Samaritan woman. Samaritans and Jews did not speak. I love that story because it reminds me of my wife and I and how Jesus bothered to sit in the noonday sun where frankly I couldn't, wouldn't have been seen dead in a church. You know, that old, old deal, if I came in, the roof will cave in. All that kind of, I was feeling so shame-filled, so, so distant from God and yet Jesus came to me and sat down and started to engage me in a discussion about eternal life. We walk through life with our noses pressed up against a very thin membrane called forever. One tear in that membrane and we are catapulted for eternity to be with or without Jesus. That is the truth. We're not playing with this thing. This is not playing church this is about eternity for you and your friends. And so when Jesus stood up, he describes this incredible river of living water. Again, some debate in the commentators about whether it should be reading rivers of water will flow to you or flow out of you. Frankly, it doesn't matter. Anything that flows to us only ever flows to us in order to flow through us. And God's heart is to give you an enhanced and increased encounter with the person of the Holy Spirit, not only to enrich your life with empowerment and wisdom and truth and guidance and salvation, but in order for you to be a vessel through whom God can flow. You say, I'm not a minister. 
Exactly. Because this is not about just people who are ordained pastors. The book of Acts, Ephesians speaks about, he gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Why? For the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. And the Holy Spirit is that empowerer. Roll the tape back to when the children of Israel came out of Egypt. We see the most incredible plan that God concocted with Moses. You know the deal. Ten plagues ended up in the, in the bloodletting of the, of the young boys in Egypt at the time. Pharaoh's heart was hard and softened, hard and softened. Finally he said, get out of my sight. But then his heart hardened again and he chased them. So here's the scenario. Pharaoh's army coming behind. Body of water in front called the Red Sea. Moses goes, ah, children of Israel grumbling. Oh, you brought us out here to kill us. God says, whip out your rod, put it over the sea and I'll part it. They walked through the sea on dry land. When Pharaoh tried to do the same, him and his whole army got squashed. The children of Israel were free. Three days later. How many days? Three. One more time with passion. How many days? Three. Three days later. They ignore the miracle of the water and they're in the desert. And they're saying, Moses, we're thirsty. What's God doing? Three days later. What propensity we have as humanoids to forget the miracle working power of God and just focus on our temporary discomfort. They come to a body of water. It's called Mara. Mara means bitterness. They start to drink from that water and pff, they can't taste it. Sorry, they, ta they can't stomach it. All they could taste was the bitterness through their senses. I, I don't need to be a prophet to affirm that there would be people here, people on James, at James Island campus, people at North Charleston campus, people that are in a place of bitterness right now, bitterness of soul. Not necessarily bitterness in terms of anger, but you're going through bitterness in your marriage. You're going through a bitter experience through that diagnosis. You're going through a bitter experience in the marketplace, in your job. You're going through a bitter experience with one of your kids. You know, any parent is only as happy as their saddest child. It hurts when kids go awry. And so for you at the moment, it's a, it's a bitter pill to swallow. There's a beautiful verse in, in, in Exodus 15, in that story, that goes on and says, if you will obey the commands of the Lord, here's what he promises, and see this in connection to the bitter water. He said, I promise not to allow any of the diseases that I put on, it, on Egypt to come upon you. I am the Lord that heals you. Bitter water, healing, what's the deal? 
Scientists now tell us that it is highly likely the reason for the bitter taste in the water was the overabundance of the presence of two elements, calcium and magnesium. Elite athletes, and there's not many of us left. (laughs) You laughed way too quickly then. I liked you until then, Seacoast. Elite athletes know that as dolomite. It actually increases the heart function under intense uh, climactic conditions, particularly heat. Uh, That was an interesting one, that they were about to endure incredibly intense climactic conditions in the wilderness, and God was all the time had their best interest at heart. Not only that, but in Egypt, known for its pooled water, how many know pooled water attract not only mosquitoes, but parasites? And so God spent a whole lot of energy and miracles getting the children of Egypt, Israel out of Egypt. His plan now was to get Egypt out of the children of Israel. I don't know how to say this just after breakfast for some of you, um, but in coming out of Egypt, drinking the pooled water, they had some passengers, some parasitic passengers. And calcium and magnesium not only enhance the function of the heart, but they also operate as purging agents, if you know what I mean. And so God had a plan. All they could taste was the bitter waters. All sometimes I can taste in my life is the fact that things aren't going like I wanted them to, how I planned. But if you would put your trust in God, fueled by the power of the Holy Spirit, you can always know that God, God's waters run deeper than the surface experience that you might be encountering. God's plan is always there with your best interest at heart. Is that true? I said, is that true? It's absolutely true. And, if, and the Holy Spirit will help to reveal that to us. Roll the tape forward to Revelation chapter 3. We see the seven letters that John is given to the churches of Asia at the time. The very last one of those is the letter to Laodicea. Now, here's a different scenario. Laodicea were a pretty self-sufficient bunch. In fact, the very definition of Laodicea, Laio or Laos means people, and uh, dyke or decea, the the root for decea, is the word judgment or decision. And, And put them together, it's the people will judge. They, they were renowned as being self-sufficient. Well, our oldest daughter, Leah, who's a film producer, uh, 29 years of age. I joke with people, but it's not all that much of a joke. You had to live with it for the first couple of years. She was born. The doctor smacked her bottom as they used to to get her to breathe. She turned around and said, you do that again, buddy. You're in big trouble. That's Leah. When she was a little older, her favorite expression was, I do myself. Can I help you tie your shit? I do myself. Can I cut your food? I'll do myself. The Laodiceans were, I'll do myself, people. And before you look any, in any way lofty about that, you know what? The truth is that many of us are too. I do myself, God. So they did it themselves. They, had, they were full of economic prosperity. They were renowned for a hospital that was notorious for healing eyes and ears. And uh, they had a water problem, though. They, they didn't have a lot of water to the town itself. And one bright spark had an idea. He said, we've got, we've got Hierapolis over here, which was another town. It was renowned for its healing medicinal waters, its hot springs. That was what, what Hierapolis was renowned for. On the other side, a town 
called Colossae. You'd recognize that from the letter that Paul wrote to the Colossians. Colossians, contrasted to that, was renowned for its chilly, fresh mountain spring water. So some bright spark went, bing, why don't we aqueduct the, water, the hot water in from Hierapolis, the chilly water in from Colossae, we'll be the first town with hot and cold running water. You're welcome. Here's the problem. As they aqueduct the chilly water, it becomes lukewarm and picks up sulfur along the way in the aqueduct. The hot water becomes lukewarm, picks up sulfur along the way. So by the time it gets to, to, to Laodicea, the people judge, it was bitter to taste and lukewarm, which is why Jesus wrote the letter and said, I wish that you still had some medicinal quality about you and were hot or that you were still refreshing and chilly cold like the waters. The people of the day would have recognized that because you have become lukewarm, because you've tried to aqueduct in substitutes for the living water that I offer, I will spew you out of my mouth. You are horrible to my taste. I couldn't tell you how many times I tried to make it happen myself. Even in the midst of my drunken stupor and, and my, my relational uh, inadequacy and brokenness, I was so broken, so insecure. I can't even remember a time I didn't have a girlfriend or someone that I was with. I hated being alone. Man, I'm getting some confessions out. I feel good. I don't know how you feel. I feel better than uh, being able to share that. With my Roman Catholic background, uh, you know, any, any, any people that, that brought up in the Roman Catholic Church, can I see your hand? Oh, yeah, there's a few of us. Uh, tykes, yeah. So what we, what we do in the Roman Catholic Church, answer up big for those that used to, used to be involved in the Roman Catholic Church, the priest would say, and the Lord be with you, and you would say, oh, reminds me, God, sentimental then. The Lord be with you. So here's what I did. I thought the way to do this is to really throw myself in. So I'm in the pew, and I'm sitting sort of midway in. I didn't want to be too spiritual. So you say to me, you say right now, the Lord be with you. And also with you. That did not go down well in the local Catholic church. That's one form of me trying to do it myself. But you know, there are many others. We try and pipe in water of, of adrenaline through some adre adrenaline junkies or, or corporate or marketplace success or relational prowess, or, or whatever it might be. But truthfully, all of those things, not necessarily bad, some of them, but very poor temporary substitutes to the real McCoy, the real stuff, which is the river of living water that Jesus promised would flow to and from our belly. Last verse or two, and uh, I wanna tell you a final story about my brother-in-law, who was diagnosed with cancer 12 months ago. Right at the last book of the Bible, in Revelation chapter 20, we read about this stream that, that John alluded to in John 7. 
that talks about the stream, Revelation 22, verse 1 and 2, the stream, the river of God that comes out from under the throne of God, and and everything it touches comes to life, and it brings healing. The the fruit of the trees uh, are for food, and the leaves of the trees are for the healing of the nations. Again, I commend you on your generosity and the impact that you're having globally. Now, John, the Holy Spirit inspired John with that, out of one of the Old Testament minor prophets, uh, major prophets, it, it was Ezekiel. And Ezekiel 47 speaks about that same deal. If I can find it here, I'll read it for you. It's one of those ones, once you get beyond the history and the poetry, I find that sometimes the books of the Bible, they move around a little bit. I was preaching one day from a minor prophet and I had to talk and just keep talking because I couldn't find it. I was too embarrassed to go to the book of contents as the preacher. So anyway, you'll be happy to know I found Ezekiel 47. (laughs) Everyone say, good job. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. So here's here's this little verse. It speaks about the same river, but it adds some things to it, all right? And this is what I want to bring the application of where we're at right now. It talks about the water coming out from under the threshold, verse one. And And then the Holy Spirit brings Ezekiel out. And he says, he brought me out by way of the north gate and led me around on the outside to the outer gate that faces east and there was water running out on the right side. And moved down, it says, he measured a thousand cubits. It's about about a third of a mile. And he said, come on, man, hop in the water. Now, let me tell you the rest of that story. And so Ezekiel jumps in the water and it's up to his ankles. So he's just twiddling his toes in the water. Again, the water, everything it touches has life. So that's a pretty cool thing. He says, come on, take a forward step, lean in and come another third of a mile and hop right in. It's up to his knees. Knees are good. God answers knee mail, did you know? Anyway, moving on. Dad joke, but I am and I can. So then he said, come on, move forward, get some momentum going. Don't stay where you are. Come another third of a mile down and the water's up to his waist. Now, in every case there, he's in the water. How many know being in the water is better than being out of the water? Somerville, some of you other campuses, in the water is better than out of the water. North Charleston, in the water is better than out of the water. But, but in each case, he's totally in control. His feet are on the ground. He's in charge. He says, come on, I've got one more for you. He said, come down here, now dive in. Whoa, you've got to really trust God. That speaks about being immersed. There's a water baptism this afternoon. Oh my gosh, what an incredibly exciting opportunity for you lovers of Jesus who've never actually gone through the waters of baptism being fully immersed. It's the most amazing public declaration of a private commitment that you've already made. I commend that to every person. You say, oh, I'm not ready. I don't know. When are you going to be ready? If you love Jesus, the Bible says, believe and be baptized. I'll be there. I love a water baptism. God is, there's already a whole bunch, like scores of people. We're going to take over the beach. It's going to be amazing. If in one of the campuses and you're you're proximate enough, is that okay? They come down and four o'clock down at, was it Isle of Palms? I love Isle of Palms. Man, I love Isle of Palms. That's awesome. Anyone from Isle of Palms here? Stay at your house? Yeah, cool. I'll talk to you later. We're, we're besties, us guys. Yeah. 
So anyway, he says, get in the water. Now, here's the deal. The Holy Spirit is constantly stirring. The Holy Spirit, I know there's been teaching from some quarters, you know, all those things have passed away. Honestly, it just doesn't measure up in Scripture. In fact, some of those people that have been proposing that have had recent encounters with the Holy Spirit, and that messed their theology right up. God is there. The Bible says, whomever will believe, the fullness of the Spirit is available. Let me tell you a story. My brother-in-law, as I mentioned, was diagnosed with a brain tumor, a geoblasty something or other, like a really aggressive one. Had the leading surgeon in Australia operate, got 98% of it, and then started to bombard it with chemo and radiotherapy. And he honestly was thinking, you'll be sweet, no problem. As, they, as Valerie, my, my wife, who was looking after him, went back to the surgeon for a final clearance report with the scan, he looked at the scan and started cursing the scan. I won't say in our company here what he said, but he was really going, for, going to town. And uh, he said, I'm really sorry. Whilst the chemo and radio have been happening, it's fully grown back and there's nothing more that I can do. As a, as a wordsmith, he was a Masters of English, C.S. Lewis nut, edited my wife's book, Dancing With My Daddy. He actually started to lose his speech. Couldn't put two words together in English. Um, his, it was so frustrating for him. In fact, at times he would, he, he would, just, he would just say, Look, I'm not stupid. He said, Jim, we know you're not stupid. It's the cancer, mate. We prayed for him. And before he lost his speech, he would say, healed or heaven? Healed, it's okay. Healed or heaven? I, my testimony goes, whatever. So every chance I get, I share this incredible story. I said, Jim, you can't pray in English anymore. But you know how the book of Acts speaks about, you know, that heavenly language? Can you still pray in, in, in tongues? In that? I said, come on. Oh my gosh, he took off like a freight train. Here's a guy that could not put two words together in English. He gets this heavenly language. Like I said, if you're not conversant with that, have a read of it yourself in the early chapters of the book of Acts. It's something that's promised as a, as a, as a gift for all of us, whomever will believe. So he takes off and chills are going up and down my spine as he gets this cadence and momentum as he's speaking this language he didn't learn at school that comes right out of his spirit, right into the heart of his Jesus. In fact, at grace time, blessing the food, we didn't worry about praying in English. We just have a little Holy Ghost, Holy Spirit kind of speaking in the spirit party. And, you know, I had, you know, he just would keep going. It's like steaks going cold. Becoming moldy, you know. He's loving it. One time I caught him out on our balcony. Uh, he didn't know I was listening. And he was praying, going for it. Praying to Jesus. And then all of a sudden he stopped and went, <laughs> I thought, man, God's got a cool joke book up there. Either that or he just got so close that he just tapped in and the, the bucket of eternal joy just poured all over him. He had a terribly acrimonious marriage breakup 20 years earlier. And he, he, he actually got the two kids, 12 and 11, I think they were. And it was, it was messy. Through this and the work of the Holy Spirit, which is why I'm excited about just in a few moments praying for people here who need to come back into that sweet spot. When the Holy Spirit is present, it's a reconciling spirit. He is a reconciling spirit. These two were 
reconciling as friends to the point that she was a, she's a registered nurse. She slept in the hospital the last five days on a couch next to the bed and tended her ex-husband 24-7. Crazy. When he couldn't talk, he was going, three, three. I said, three what? Charlotte, Caleb, you two kids, yeah? Yeah. You're concerned about them, Jim. Yeah. Look, they're 30. They love Jesus. We're here. If you go to heaven, they're going to be okay. Who's this third one? Bronwyn? The, your ex-wife that broke your heart and left you with the, holding the baby? I said, what about Bronwyn, Jim? He would simply look up into heaven, shake his head, and tears would flow down his face. I said, let me get this right. In the midst of you fighting for your life, the thing you're most preoccupied about is whether your ex-wife that broke your heart is going to heaven? Yeah. 5 a.m., Tuesday morning, the nurses came in. Bron was, was asleep on the couch next to the bed. She stirred. They fluffed up his pillow and rolled him over. And they went, quarter past five, 5.15. She couldn't get to sleep and she's just restless. She got up and she stroked his face. She bent down and she said, Jim, I want you to know I still love Jesus. I haven't lost my faith. It was the last words that he ever, ever heard as he slipped off into eternity. Friend, let me say it again. We walk through life with our noses pressed up against a very thin membrane called forever. One tear and we're catapulted for eternity to be with or without Christ. Can we please pray? Holy Spirit, I invite you to come right now. I thank you in fact that you're already here, but Lord, you would come and draw hearts to yourself. Father, I pray that, that you would just really stir people, Lord, that maybe are bumping along a complacency route, maybe whose toes are in the water up to their ankles or their knees or their waist. But today, you're offering an opportunity and even bringing a challenge, Lord, that we might give our hearts, the center of who we are, to you. Lord, I commit each one here, each precious person and family in the campuses, those that are viewing online, Lord, we commit them to you right now. Holy Spirit, do your work, I pray, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. amen.